You're listening to Selfish. This is where we bring self-care and bravery together to encourage you to follow your dreams. Here's your host, your favorite selfish enthusiast, Ali Hembry Martin. Nicole Sartini Seaprick has developed therapy that moves beyond just mental health. But through her mission, she really wants others to see the value and love within themselves. Nicole, I am so excited that you are on the show today. So thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me, Allie. First, Nicole, tell us about yourself. Well, professionally, I am a psychotherapist and an entrepreneur, um, probably in about equal parts. I've been practicing therapy for about 10 years, and I absolutely love it. Uh, It's an awesome experience to get to be part of anybody's healing journey and then to be able to offer tools to help them along the way and to witness the resilience that people, you know, experience in the office is really powerful. I absolutely love it. Um, And then about five years ago, my business partner, Jennifer Owens, and I co-founded Um, an integrative mental health counseling center called Bridge Counseling and Wellness. And what I mean by integrative is that we, we do the professional therapy thing. And we, we also have medication management, but we incorporate wellness services. Like uh, we do uh, free yoga, meditation sits, nutritional consulting, that sort of thing. And those things are in place to help support the therapy work for people. um, And also to we find that they those things improve outcomes for folks. And we just opened our third location with Bridge uh, this year. And we also co-founded a national training program called the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. It's a platform for multiple trainings, but it includes our signature training, which is a certification program for mental health professionals who want to practice using the integrative model. I love oh, this. And I'm also, yes. I'm also, I'm also a mom and wife. Oh. Uh, that's you personally. Yes. Yeah, in my personal life, and um, I have a 14-year-old who was um, very inspirational uh, for helping me move forward with my career when he was born, and um, also a three-year-old daughter who, uh, you know, is also an inspiration to keep showing up as my best self and working hard, um, and a husband, two cats. <laughs> that is so cool. I love that. Now, you mentioned um, that you co-founded and you are the clinical director at uh, Bridge Counseling and Wellness, and you're, you just opened your third location, which is amazing. Um, and you said that allowed you to tr- put on your entrepreneur hat. Um, so talk to us about what led you to open the clinic. What made you want to jump into that entrepreneurial world? Um, well, to answer that, I might need to start with how I became a therapist in the first place. And as I mentioned, my son was very inspirational for me um, in my career. I'd, my first job in the field was actually as um, a residential youth counselor at a local children's home working with kids who had been abused or neglected. And I was only 19 years old. And I loved the work so much uh, when I started that I genuinely thought I would I would stay there forever. I wasn't motivated by money at the time. Um, I just wanted to do something that was meaningful and uh, four years later, I became pregnant unexpectedly. And of course, that that did change how I saw my needs and desires for the future and uh, felt motivated to um, rethink those things and to do my own emotional work, which I did. And basically, I ended up becoming a therapist, deciding to become a therapist in my own therapist's office while doing my own work. Mm. I found the experience very, very powerful. I un- felt like I had uncovered some some skills that I might have that I could share with other people and I wanted to put him to use. So uh, when he was six months old, I went back to school as a single mom 
and went straight through undergrad and graduate school and then became uh, you know, a therapist. And when I was doing my own work and after I was uh, after I became a therapist in the early years, I ended up experimenting a lot with myself and um, you know, doing the work that I was doing with other people for myself as well. And I became observant of changes in my mental state. And I noticed that I I felt a lot better when I got exercise and when I ate right and when I meditated. So when I met my business partner, Jennifer, I was really excited to hear that she literally used the same tools to help support her own mental health. And we had different things going on that we we had worked through, uh, but we both used those tools. And we decided to dig into the research a little more. And what we found was that we were by no means alone in this experience that actually research supports the idea that those tools, um, that exercise and um, nutrition and mindfulness support mental health. And it inspired us to create Bridge where people can have a better chance of incorporating those things into their therapy work. And so anyway, ever since it's been it's been growing and and thriving and we're learning more and more as we go and um, tweaking things to be uh, in a in alignment with the most current research about what supplemental services can can help people get through the therapy process more effectively. Wow. So I know we talked about you focus on helping individuals through that time of unbalance or major life transition, kind of, again, what inspired you to um, become a therapist. Talk to us about why it's important to work through those major life events or times of unbalance. All right, so I'm gonna get a little sciencey for a second. Um, <laughs> there is a there's a there's a process that happens in the brain called myelination, where any behavior or thought that we have over and over causes this fatty substance called myelin to to coat the neural pathway uh, that that's firing and make the brain more automatically fire in that same way. So if you think about people who have an artistic skill or a sports skill, they practice, practice, the brain automatically has that muscle memory that comes with it. It's similar for, for thoughts or thinking patterns. So when we're going through a life change, we have basically a fresh start to take authority over how we are practicing thinking about the experience. And instead of thinking of life being something that's dragging us around, we have the you know, we have the authority to take some ownership over some of that. I mean, it is true that the environments and genetics do play a role in how we feel for sure. But uh, the research again suggests that about 40% of our sense of well-being is more linked to our attitude and our thinking patterns. So when you have an opportunity to deal with a transition um, or, or feeling unbalanced, either of those times, whatever you practice thinking, you're going to get better at. So being aware of that and working with it um, helps us have a stronger sense of control in our lives, which can, it can really bring some relief if you're going through a time of change to have, to have a sense of, of control or authority instead of feeling drug around. And, and the same is true when we feel imbalanced, when we feel imbalanced, we feel out of, out of control. And um, this helps put some structure and helps put the focus back on the, you know, the authority that we actually do have over how we're thinking and how we practice thinking. And of course, we can't talk about it all today. I have tools that I work with people on to, to change thinking patterns um, that are really cool and helpful and actually work. Wow. And I've never heard it explained like that as, a, as if it's almost like muscle memory. Absolutely. And now similar to your practice, you all have much more of a holistic approach um, than what I'm familiar with. So 
you use traditional therapy, but you also add in that mind-body connection Mm. along with diet, exercise, nutritional supplements, mindfulness, a positive self-image, which I love all of these. How was this developed? You know, what led you to go down this path to integrate all of these elements into your practice? Well, okay. So thoughts and feelings and behavior all affect each other. Um, They go both directions. So behavior affects how we think and how we feel and how we feel affects how we behave and we think and how we think affects how we behave and how we feel as well. So if that is true, we can look at the thing that is most easy to change first, and that is a behavior. So if we can say, uh, if you walk 30 minutes a day, endorphins are released and chemical changes happen in your body that help lift your mood. And the biggest barrier is actually getting your tennis shoes on and, and saying that you don't want to do it, but doing it anyway, then that's a lot easier than, than changing these thinking patterns that we are going to be working on when we're in therapy. But this gives you gives a person a strong uh, foundation for that. And um, honestly, we feel like it's best practice to let clients know that. And that in the fact that we can also provide a place where they feel safe and a place that they're familiar with to, to do some of these practices, like have yoga at your therapist's office, then it we think increases the option or the the chances of people incorporating those things and can help them move through through the process more quickly. I mean, we, for some people, it it makes the process go quickly. Um, It it can decrease the length of therapy or or whether they need medication or not, but we offer those tools anyway as an option. And if it, even if it doesn't minimize those, it's an effective supplement to help the process be just more effective. Wow, I love that. And I I mean, I completely agree. It makes complete sense on why it would be more effective um, using that overall approach. Something that I just struck a nerve with me in a good way. Um, you talk about obstacles as opportunities for growth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? As a culture, we tend to judge most things as either being good or bad. But in reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, the way we decide to perceive things it genuinely affects how we process them. So um, I encourage people and and I, um, including myself, to remember that there is duality in most things. So um, if we look back at our lives, we can remember that things that seemed awful and, um, and were really horrible at the time may have also benefited us. For instance, like um, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned that I went through some pretty difficult struggles as a kid. Um, and it, it it sucked at the time. And in the therapy piece where I was processing that was really hard. But I don't think that I ever would have become a therapist without that process or without those experiences. And I love this work and I'm good at it and has it a ripple effect in the world. So those things were both good and bad. Um, also, you know, it can becoming more comfortable with discomfort takes some of the power away. So if we see an obstacle as an opportunity, we can feel more comfortable with it. And something that feels really, really big can come more into perspective. Uh, And it can take some of the power away from like the difficult feelings that come along with that. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And so what Mm -hmm. does, what does that look like when an individual is trying to overcome an obstacle? You know, what's the most common hurdle that they just really can't get past when, when dealing with those obstacles? Thinking patterns, because, you know, those can be really ingrained sometimes. They can be really thick grooves and retraining that inner voice is hard. It kind of reminds me of 
I think it's a little easier than this, I hope, because I find learning a foreign language really hard. Mm. But I've always compared it to like, if you're a kid, it's easier to learn a foreign language than it is when you're an adult. However, it's not impossible. And I think that retraining that inner voice is similar to that. It's like a language. Um, and, you know, if we, um, if we're willing to do the work that it takes to retrain it, um, we're going to see whatever any direction we want to go, anything that we're working on, any goal that we have, uh, it, it's it's easier to attain those things. And, you know, the other thing is, is just not not seeing, um, not wanting to do something as a barrier, kind of as I mentioned before. Like, you don't necessarily have to feel in the space to work on your stuff to work on it. When you're having a really, really bad day, you don't feel like doing much of anything usually, but if you can, you know, get past that feeling and just go through the process you already have decided you were going to do because you made this plan with your therapist or on your own, then you have more of an opportunity to, uh, to practice retraining the brain and retraining that inner voice hmm. so that it serves you better. So that it serves you more. Um, and that it's, it's more empowering. So just seeing it in that positive light can make the world of a difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or being comfortable when you're not seeing, having compassion for yourself mm. when you're not seeing it in a positive light. That's an interesting thing too. Um, this uh, Dr. Shapiro, um, she is um, a mindfulness researcher, and she had some. Um, I went to presentations of hers recently, and she was talking about how when we're in spaces of shame and we're being critical of ourselves for whatever reason, that it actually shuts down the learning center of the brain because of norepinephrine and adrenaline being produced. And we can't make change in those moments. So if you really want to make change, have compassion for yourself so those learning centers can be turned on because then you're releasing completely different chemicals that have a different process that allow us to actually make change versus shutting our brains down because of being in a state of self-criticism. And I can only imagine that having that compassion is honestly the truest form of self-care. Oh my gosh, absolutely. That's that's a really good point. Um, com compassion for self is, we, we think about compassion in terms of other people um, pretty easily. Colloquially, I think that's what we mean when we say compassion a lot of the times. But um, yeah, compassion for yourself, that that is probably um, also a really common hurdle is just having that but it is sort of related to retraining the inner voice because that compassion is, you know, we, we hear it internally through our inner voice, whether we're being compassionate or we're being critical of ourselves. So yeah, we I can ultimately it. train ourselves <laughs> to be more compassionate towards. Yeah, towards that's us. right. That's one, that's one of the ways we can adjust our inner voice. Absolutely. So something that I find frustrating about myself, but also others is that we let fear get in the way of our goals or something that we want to achieve. As a therapist, what is something we can do today to help us move past that fear and work mm -hmm. towards that ultimate goal? First, it's just having a belief that whatever the goal is, is possible. Um, if you can't believe that it's possible, then practice saying to yourself that you're open to the possibility that it's possible. Because actually, if you think in terms of um, it's possible, but you really don't believe it, your brain will argue with itself and it won't form that new neural pathway that we're talking about needing in order to have like a more automated way of thinking and being less fearful. Um, so if you can't, if you really don't believe it's possible, then just tell yourself, use a modifier, like I'm open to the possibility that this goal is possible. And um, this isn't just like a, like a, a new age adage kind of thing. It's, it's real science. Um, if we don't expect to see something, our brains will 
miss out on opportunities to make the goal come true. Like it, it really will. You don't see something that you don't expect to see. Hmm. And so, yeah. So I think that was, that's really important. That's really important to making anything come true is, is actually believing that it's, it's possible or working with the thoughts that you're having if you're not believing that and, and that, helping address them. That kind of goes back to, you know, some of the other experts that I've had on have said of those goals that you have in your mind or the dreams that you have, they don't mm-hmm. just enter your mind and then that you're not supposed to do anything with it. Like the purpose of the, the fact that your body would manifest those goals and you would have that desire within you means that you are supposed to do be doing something with that. It doesn't just mm. happen just to tease you, I guess. Um, hey, you know, that's... That's so a good really point. Like that. Uh, yeah, that that that's a really good point. It's um, just like emotions. Emotions are usually messengers. They're telling us something. And oh gosh, all these things are really related. If we if we practice observe, observing the self, I, I was talking about you know um, being compassionate with the self and retraining the brain. But all of this starts with really just observing ourselves, supervising our minds. So if you observe your mind and you see that there is something that you feel driven to do that might also then be a messenger that like, Mm. that's something that might be fulfilling or bring meaning to you. You know, another thing that we do culturally is we view like happiness as the ultimate goal. And I would challenge people to consider um, the fact that like, you're never going to have hundred percent happiness. It's, it's not going to happen. No matter if you reach your goal or not, that is not going to happen. So becoming more comfortable with, with that idea be 100% happy all the time and we can make room for other things um we also can like replace that with something like maybe maybe finding meaning is really important maybe creating some sort of purpose is really fulfilling and so you know having worked through my my own depression work that was part of what made helped me get through that in a lot of ways like I, I found meaning in you know becoming a mom for a minute like that's the crutch the crutch that I needed at that time to like um continue doing the work toward being my best self and feeling feeling happy sometimes not all the time but but a lot of the times and I'm sure the work that you're doing and seeing the results in other people is really fulfilling probably far beyond just personal happiness could bring you oh my gosh it's amazing it's what I realized is I had tendencies toward being um, a helper and toward being wanting to be a caretaker. And as we all know, um, <laughs> there can be negative, quote unquote, as I just said, negative is also positive. But anyway, there can be um, unhealthy, let's say it that way. There can be unhealthy ways to channel that, like that can create codependency. And you know what, in my life early on, it did create codependency. And that is how it manifested. As I understood more about Uh, myself and how I operated because I supervised my own mind and I observed it, I realized that there were healthy ways to channel that. Like I really genuinely like helping people. And so if I'm having both respect, I can't just have respect for the other person and just help the other person. Having a career, making making a, a career out of this allowed me to have respect for both myself and the other person when I did this work. And not only was it a good, healthy direction for me to take those those skills or that aspect of my personality, but um, it's amazing to witness change in other people. I feel like I have this view into the world 
uh, the behind the scenes kind of thing. And what it really does is it, it makes me love everybody. I'll tell you that. I got, I just, people are amazing. We, we went mm. through, everybody has their story. Everybody's went through really, really difficult things. And, and some of the people you would just never guess, like, um, it's so powerful to, to get to bear witness to that, that intimate part of their lives and to see change happen and to see relief come and, and to be able to be there in the moments when those things aren't there and to like hold that space. It's, amazing because I had it done for me too and I got to receive that and now I get to share that and it's it's awesome so turning more towards you personally what -hmm. are your favorite ways to be selfish and bear in mind selfish in our terms is positive and practicing of self-care sure yeah yeah of course yeah um well I definitely believe in practicing what I preach so I take very good good care of myself um I, I do think it helps me be a better mom and a better wife and a better therapist and a better boss if I'm if I'm taking care of myself. So uh, I like to I, I walk in the park almost every day. Love that. Um, I like exercising and being creative and meditating and uh, porch sitting and uh, yeah, I do the traditional stuff sometimes too, like massage or facial. But um, mostly, I just like I like allowing time uh, to to just make sure I'm, I'm honoring my body and my mind. I love that you said in my spirit. In my spirit. Yes, my spirit. yes, yes. <laughs> I love that you said porch sitting because as a fellow Kentuckian, um, that, I mean, there's just nothing more um, just fulfilling and revitalizing of your soul than um, to be able to porch sit on a nice summer night. So I love that you said that. Yes. And just the act of being still, Oof, mm-hmm. that's something, that's something nice. I've, I've, that's a more recent development for me. And I am very much enjoying that indulgence of stillness and quietness without any sort of agenda. Yeah. Or distractions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you wish you could be doing more? So with the nature of my work and the nature of being a, a parent, I need a lot of alone time. I need a lot of restorative time. And that means that sometimes I am not as social as I want to be. So I am working on trying to find more opportunity to, to connect with friends and to make space for that kind of energy, which um, is different than being a parent or being um, a therapist or an entrepreneur. It's, um, you know, it's a different, a different experience. And I want to make sure that I'm honoring uh, those connections as well. And so, yeah, that's something I want to do more and that I am working on doing more of. What is next for Nicole? Well, of course we want to, we want to keep growing and AIMH, which is the Academy of Integrative Mental Health and our, our training program. And Jennifer and I also want to open a retreat center so that we can have um, host more events and retreats. And she is an ecotherapist and wants to have land to do some of her ecotherapy work on. So that's one of our goals. Um, I personally want to eventually spend more time writing and doing public speaking as, you know, as a leader in the field. I, I feel compelled to continue um, finding new ways to use my voice and to experiment with myself. So cool. Well, Thank Nicole, you. I am so grateful for the work that you're doing with your clients and um, just doing your part to make this place a better world. So thank you for that. And thank you for talking with us today. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing to highlight the importance of respecting yourself also and taking care of yourself, no matter what line of work you're in. I think that's really cool. And um, and it's cool to see you 
using your voice in this way that can can be helpful to other people too. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Like what you just heard? Visit us at selfishthepodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes today.